0: Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. 700 years before Jesus was born, a detailed prophecy about the Messiah was given by the prophet Isaiah. It's found in chapter 53 of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And this book has much to say to us as Christians. We began our study last week, we'll conclude our study today. Apples of gold later, now we join our host and teacher, Chris Gatolka.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Friends of Israel Today radio program. So last week, we started having a conversation about Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53, I think, is one of the clearest prophecies about Jesus. You know, it all but stops short of saying, hey, this one in Isaiah 53 is Jesus. In fact, I mentioned last week that the Jewish people who hear Isaiah 53 for the first time read aloud think it's actually from the New Testament and that it's speaking about Jesus. And when they hear that it's an Old Testament prophecy that's coming from the prophet Isaiah, the only thing that they can do is kind of shrug it off because they don't know what to do with it. It, Again, it so clearly is pointing to Jesus. And in our conversation last week, we looked at the overarching message of Isaiah 53. And that overarching message is that of humiliation, to exaltation kings and nations would marvel at the suffering servant of the lord and it says in the prelude to isaiah 53 isaiah 52 15 kings would be shocked at his exaltation and this is the life and ministry of jesus the messiah as portrayed in the gospels you know jesus didn't live the life of a king and though he is a king he didn't live the life of one he was lowly and he was rejected by his very own, actually, to the point of death. He, he died the most humiliating death on a Roman cross. And really, Jesus knew uh, as he was living his life that he was walking the footsteps of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And yet in his resurrection, he found vindication and exaltation. So today, though, I want to focus our attention on what I think is one of the most amazing parts of Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant, and that's the layer of theology that's embedded in the prophecy. Isaiah's prophecy, it doesn't just simply explain someone that would live a life of humiliation, die, and find in the end his exaltation. It goes one step further, which is incredibly unique in God's prophetic word. It goes one step further to describe exactly why the suffering servant lives a life of humiliation and why the suffering servant had to die. You know, when Jesus makes the statement in Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Where did this idea come from? How in the world could the king of Israel come to understand that he would give his life for many, that he would stand in our place as a substitute for sin and the judgment of sin that we deserve? Where did this idea come from? The the theology that defines the sacrificial death of Jesus You know, Jesus didn't just die for any old cause. He died so that we might have life. And, you know, without Isaiah 53, it would be much harder for us to build the bridge between the animal sacrifice of the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And there aren't many prophetic passages that talk about the king of Israel who would willingly sacrifice his life for his people. So not only does Isaiah give us the facts about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, 700 years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah explains exactly why Jesus had to die. And that's amazing. Just listen to some of these verses from Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, as to why the servant of the Lord had to suffer. He was despised and rejected by people. One who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised and we considered him insignificant. Now listen to the theology here. The reason why this one suffering servant was, was so humiliated and was crushed. Listen to this. Verse 4. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain Even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done, he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off his own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. These few verses from Isaiah 53 describe with concise clarity the mission of Jesus. They show the depth and significance of the suffering servant, how one person would stand in the place of the rebellious and the sinful and take the divine judgment they deserved upon himself. This suffering servant would willingly bear our illness, our wounds, our pain, our punishment, our selfishness, our rebellious acts, greed, lust, envy. He would take all of these things that separate us from having a relationship with God so that we might be healed. And that healing that Isaiah is talking about is having an uninterrupted relationship With the God who created us. This concept of one person taking the sins of another is called substitutionary atonement, a a very big theological term that ultimately means that this suffering servant would stand in our place and take the punishment that we deserve, that he would become the one that would stand in our place of judgment, that he would be the one to bear our sins. Now listen to this verse from Isaiah 53:10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Do you hear what Isaiah is saying? Isaiah is saying that the Lord desired and was pleased to crush his servant. The Lord was satisfied with his servant becoming a sacrifice for the many. The Lord was satisfied with the crushing of his servant because it fulfilled his ultimate plan of redemption for all mankind. It's what would redeem not only the nation of Israel within the wider context of Isaiah, because that's what Isaiah is looking at here. If you go beyond Isaiah 53, God is looking at the redemption of Israel. But who will be the one to provide redemption for Israel? It will be this suffering servant. And not only would this suffering servant bring redemption for Israel, he would also bring redemption for everyone, salvation to anybody. It's the reason on the night of the Lord Jesus' Last Supper, that last Passover Seder, when the Lord passed the cup, remember, we 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 say this all the time in church, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, what? Which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus knew he was fulfilling the role of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. He understood that through his suffering and his death, he would bring salvation and healing to everyone who would believe in him. And that just goes to show that Isaiah 53 has both you and me in mind. We need forgiveness For the sinful state we're in, we need forgiveness for our rebellious ways. And through the death of Jesus, he provided that forgiveness and righteousness, just as the prophecy has promised. I hope you enjoyed our study on Isaiah 53. I hope it brought to light some of the complexities of this amazing prophecy but we're not done just yet when we return i'm going to be speaking with steve herzig director of north american ministries of the friends of israel and we're going to talk about where isaiah 53 is still effective today in the way that we share the gospel really where the rubber meets the road with isaiah 53 so stick around the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, we want you to be equipped to share the gospel wherever you are. One of the greatest tools for sharing the message of Jesus is to show how he fulfilled the prophecies spoken about him hundreds of years before his birth. Isaiah 53 is one of those powerful prophecies that speaks clearly of Jesus as God's suffering servant who would give his life for ours. In Victor Buxbazin's book, Isaiah's Messiah, Dr. Buxbazin masterfully answers the all-important Jewish question of who did the prophet speak? Dr. Books-Boson shows how Isaiah 53, a section of the Bible never read in synagogue, speaks unequivocally of Jesus. This easy-to-read book will give you the confidence you need to answer any question a Jewish person may have about Jesus. To order your copy of Israel's Messiah, visit our website, foiradio.org, or call 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940. Welcome back, everybody. I am joined with Steve Herzig, who is the director of North American Ministries of the Friends of Israel. He is also author of Jewish Culture and Customs, a wonderful book on a look into Jewish life and Jewish culture. Uh, Steve, great to have you on the program. Chris, it's great to be here. You're the perfect person for what we're talking about here in Isaiah 53. I I really, as I was saying earlier, I wanted to talk about where the rubber meets the road with Isaiah 53. It's not just a prophecy about Jesus. It's also impacting the lives of people uh, all the time. And you're a Jewish believer. Can you explain how Isaiah 53 impacted
2: your life? Well, I know this is going to sound funny, Chris, but Isaiah 53 impacted me simply because of its location. It's in the Old Testament. And for me, uh, the first time I read Isaiah 53, if I didn't know the source, which was my own Jewish Bible from my own synagogue, I would have said this is in the New Testament. And I've been saying this in our broadcast that I've read that Jewish people
1: who don't know Isaiah 53 read it for the first time, go, oh, that's a New Testament
2: passage because it's so clear about the the, the future of uh, what Jesus would do. Well, Chris, you're absolutely right. And to further what you're saying, I realized what an impact this chapter had on my life. And to be honest, I've never heard a Jewish believer not include Isaiah 53 as part of their testimony. But one of the things that I did when I went into the ministry was to take Isaiah, and this is before computers or anything like that, and type it out with no Isaiah on it, no no numbers, just paragraphs. And as I would go around, meet Jewish people, I'd have them read it and simply ask them this question. Would you mind commenting to me, What you think about this that I'm handing you? What was the reaction? Every—I was on college campuses, University of Chicago, Northwestern University. I was in Bible studies with Jewish people that ranged in age from a college age all the way up to retired Jewish people, all of them. And I'd get several different answers. One, don't show the New Testament to me. This isn't in the New Testament. Then they'd say, well— I'm not allowed to believe in Jesus, I'm Jewish. Well, I said, it doesn't say Jesus, and by the way, it comes from Isaiah the prophet in the Jewish scriptures. Um, they They would say, you're trying to mash the Bible down my throat. And remember, I wasn't handing them a Bible. I was handing them a sheet of paper with Isaiah 53 typed on it, and I told them, I, wait a minute, this is just a ch- one chapter from the Bible, and it's your Bible. And look at the impact it's having. I mean, they're commenting, and you're not even saying anything to them. There's always a reaction that is more—if if I were to show them that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Jewish people would say, yeah, that's from the Bible, and I'm familiar with it, and however— but this is a passage that, since most of them are not familiar, and since, and at least in America uh, and North America, uh, they have a sense of um, uh, of who Jesus is. Uh, for them, this is Jesus, and it's out of character. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so it's hard, It's an. It drives their emotion. It drove my emotion. The first time I ever heard about Jesus was not out of Isaiah 53. It was a typical gospel presentation. I was 18 years old on a college campus, but that was delivered from the New Testament, and it was easy for me as a Jewish person to fluff it off and not pay any attention. Four years later, in a Bible study, I was confronted with Isaiah 53, as well as other passages in the Jewish scriptures. But it was Isaiah 53 that allowed me to confront head-on, with not another person being aggressive, and not even the Bible. I was reading the Bible, yet it was aggressive. It was confronting my sin and my need for a Savior not in the context of the New Testament, but in the context of the Jewish Scripture, and I had to deal with it. It it really builds the bridge between you know the idea of Jesus having to give
1: his life as a sacrifice for us, and it builds that bridge to say, here's somebody who's suffering in Isaiah 53, giving himself uh, uh, that we might have life, and it kind of builds that natural bridge between what the Gospels are saying
2: in many ways. You know, Chris, you're you're not— you are a hundred percent correct, and it is exactly why when some Jewish people are confronted with this, their reaction is this: "Hey, I'm not sure what this is supposed to be. I need to talk to my rabbi." rabbi right. That's a that's how, but that's a wonderful thing. It drives people to a place they've never been before, rather than a, from a New Testament point of view. Nothing wrong with the New Testament, but from a Jewish point of view, if you can find a place. And there are hundreds of them, uh, thank God, prophecies concerning Christ. This chapter is the most powerful out of all of them. Let's
1: talk practicality here. Let's talk how can this passage be used
2: to share the gospel today within a Jewish context? When I'm asked that question, I, I always go to the person who's asking it, and I say, do you have a relationship with your Jewish friend? And many times they say yes. And then what I say is simply this. Take the passage. Give it to your Jewish friend with this in mind, saying, look, you're Jewish. I'm a Christian. Uh, This is coming from your Bible. I want your insight. I want you to tell me as a Jewish person what you want me to know about this passage for me as a Christian. Yes. Well, That does all kinds of things, Chris, not just from the text itself. Number one, it's telling them you're not trying to change them in any way. In fact, you're asking them to teach you what it does for the Jewish person. It might be the first time they've ever seen it. And if it isn't, it's the first time anybody's ever asked them to read it and teach back what it means. They don't know. So it will drive them to a rabbi. It will drive them to online to check out what they might supposedly say to them, and it will give the Spirit of God an opportunity as we believe his word doesn't return void. You know, a lot of the times they've already talked to their rabbi, this has happened to me, and they say, oh, yeah, we already know, this is Israel. And I said, oh, you know, that's a really interesting answer, this is Israel. So are you telling me that Israel became sin— and as a result of its sin, which we're ta- spoken about in chapter one, now qualifies to be a sacrifice—a sin that's apart from God is now qualified to be a sacrifice. And oh, by the way, Israel is he and him. Yeah, the singular. That, that, that yeah. doesn't. That doesn't. Does that mesh with the way when you took English in in college? <laughs> and they're they're all. If you're going to be intellectually honest, yeah. even if you have the answer that's supposedly given. I just say, is, is that your conviction or the rabbi's conviction? Right. And then you get in great conversations. That's great.
1: We've been speaking with Steve Herzig, who's the director of North American Ministries. Steve, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing with us a little bit of how we can practically use Isaiah 53 to share the gospel and also how it's impacted your life, really where the rubber meets the road of Isaiah 53. So thank you very much.
0: Sure thing. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher.
3: In these times of great uncertainty in Israel, the rabbis of Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, have decided to compose a new prayer, a poem to comfort the people of Israel. One is the leader of a large synagogue in my neighborhood. For a long time, he would not even look at me because of my faith in Jesus. But when members of his synagogue told him I often make repairs to their homes for free, he gradually changed his attitude. We have since become good friends. When I met him recently, he was the first to say, Shalom, and I knew immediately he wanted my help. I was happy to do the work he requested, and as always, I did not charge him. When I was finished, he asked, See, have you lost your head believing in this man, Jesus? Because we were in a synagogue, I pointed to the extensive library and said, Can you show me even one copy of the Bible here? He answered, Most of the books are prayer books. Other rabbis and I are trying to compose a new prayer. Could you offer any help in composing the new prayer? I replied, if you want to know how to pray, you must ask God directly for his help. All of the poems and prayers in the world will not help you. If they do not come from your heart, they are nothing more than what King Solomon called vanity in Ecclesiastes one two. The rabbi was listening intently and then he asked, how do you pray? I opened my Bible to Psalm 25 and read, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I trust in you. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. For you are the God of my salvation. I told him, these are the words of King David. He prayed all that was in his heart without worrying about whether it was a nice poem. Use David's words as an example of his simplicity and humility before God. The rabbi asked, How do believers in Jesus pray? I replied, We pray what is in our hearts at any given time, in any given situation. The ability comes through the Holy Spirit of God as people place their faith in the Lord Jesus. Hannah prayed silently in the temple at Shiloh, but her petition came from deep within her heart. God heard her prayer and gave her the desire of her heart, and the result was the birth of Samuel. We come before God with open hearts, and He answers our prayers according to His will. The rabbi was surprised I read from the Bible, because he was sure believers in Jesus did not use the Bible. He said, I have learned much today, but the distance between us is still very great. I said, You must not try to bridge the distance between you and me, but between yourself and God. As it is written in Isaiah 53, He was bruised for our sins and Christ for our iniquities, and because of all He has done for us, we must come to Him in the way He has directed in His Word. The rabbi and I parted on a very friendly basis that day. I trust the Lord to do a work in this man's heart.
0: As we close, I'll remind you once more about the book Isaiah 53, written by the very first director of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, Victor Buxbazen. You can purchase your copy when you call our listener line at 888-343-6940. 888-343-6940. You can write to us at FOI Radio PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Again, that's FOI Radio PO Box 914 Belmar, New Jersey 08099 or simply visit us at foiradio.org again that's foiradio.org next week we'll dedicate the entire episode to looking in depth at our latest issue of Israel My Glory magazine that focuses on the Old Testament book of Micah The Friends of Israel today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.